Hi again, welcome to another edition of What Barry's Talking About from Barry360. I'm Dan Blakely. On this week's program, cybersecurity. A Barry firm has teamed up with the County of Simcoe to help small and medium-sized companies protect themselves from cyber attacks at a reduced cost. Is there a doctor in the house? Not many, but we'll get you headed in the right direction to find one. The Barry Colts went two for three again this past weekend. We get an update on where they sit in the playoff race and dating for millennials. But first, we may be hearing more about Bigfoot sightings in and around Barry. Ryan Willis, whom we met last July, is with the Trent University Sasquatch Society. At that time, the society was looking for someone to pick up their TV pilot, and apparently somebody has. Ryan? Yes, that's right. Uh, the pilot has been picked up by the Wild TV Network. What does that mean? Um, well, it means uh, we have a show called Sasquatch University coming to Wild TV uh, airing this fall. We, we want to come film an episode in Barrier for sure because, uh, yeah, there, there was just uh, a lot of, you know, reports that came back. And uh, we want to know if people have had uh, any more reports uh, since, since we last uh, kind of reached out to that area. And what kind of r- reports were you getting? What were people seeing? What were they finding? People were seeing, uh, you know, large eight-foot-tall creatures running across the highway at night, stuff in the woods. Uh, you know, we, we got a lot, so um, <laughs> it, it'd be uh, tough to list every single one, but it, it certainly sounds like there's a lot of very good Sasquatch activity going on uh, in the Barry area. Any notion as to how many sightings there have been? Are you talking dozens? Uh, I would say probably between, I think we got between about 10 and 20 in that I guess, uh, you know, Barrie and then surrounding areas, if you include those. But right in the kind of Barrie area, we probably got between 5 and 10. But surrounding areas included, we, we got probably, you know, 10 to 20 in the more, uh, more forested areas outside of Barrie, of course. And what in those accounts leads you to believe that they are actual sightings of, of Bigfoot? Well, the descriptions, of course. Uh, you know, obviously, if someone says um, they saw... Uh, an eight-foot-tall, hairy creature run across the highway, which was uh, one of the reports we got. Uh, you know, you wouldn't assume that it's, uh, you know, a man, um, you know, due to the height. The, so everything kind of meets the classic Sasquatch description. So that's uh, obviously one that's very interesting for us. And, uh, you know, we got a lot of others that were, uh, you know, pretty similar um, in different settings and whatnot. So it really sounds like uh, Barry is a hot spot and there's stuff going on there. When I was getting ready to speak to you today, I, I came across a, an article that uh, uh, kind of debunks any notion of Sasquatch, suggesting it's most likely a bear people are seeing that's walking on its hind feet. Oh, well, of course, there's, uh, there's always a lot of those articles. But uh, I think when people start to really look into the research, uh, and all the evidence out there, they, they really start to see that there is a lot more to this. And that's something uh, we really try to educate people on and, and hope to do on the show. How difficult is it for you to brush aside all of those naysayers? There are a lot of them. We had them jump on our social media after we spoke last summer making jokes about it. And But, but how, do you, how do you deal with that while continuing with your research? I think, uh, I don't think I have a, a very hard time with it myself. Um... But unfortunately, a lot of other researchers, it really puts them off. Uh, you know, I, I have uh, some that uh, are, you know, even afraid to speak sometimes to uh, to other other Sasquatch enthusiasts and whatnot, uh, you know, kind of because of uh, naysayers putting putting their work down in the different things like that. So it's, it's really unfortunate that there's uh, such a stigma around the Sasquatch subject. But 
uh, you know, we hope to uh, to change that. And uh, hopefully um, with our show, we're able to help uh, educate people and, and show people that it's not something to be uh, put down and, and uh, belittled, I suppose. I just find it fascinating that there might be such a creature out there. Yeah, there's, uh, there's so much great information and, and resources that people can read, you know, give so much information on, on this creature. And, and uh, yeah, like I said, we hope to share that with everybody. But uh, I think um, as, as this goes on, uh, you know, further, um, kind, of, kind of like the UFO subject, where, you know, it's ridiculed and, and laughed at for a long time, but then you have the, the Pentagon coming out and, and showing footage and saying uh, that these things do exist. I think the Sasquatch subject is a very good comparable and very similar in, uh, in that regard. So um, I think we'll, we'll have something like that happen uh, in the next few years, and, uh, you know, I look forward to it. When are you hoping to come to Barrie? And if people have stories to tell, how do they get a hold of you? They can get a hold of us through our website, sasquatchuniversity.com. That's also the name of the show. Um, And, uh, yeah, we're hoping to come in the next few months. It kind of depends um, on who gets in touch and and when they're available and coordinating times with with all of them, because obviously we want to talk to as many people out there as we can. But, um, yeah, so the next, the next few months, uh, and, uh, yeah, so just reach out through uh, our website if you've seen anything. Um, and, yeah, we'll be in touch and, and look forward to, uh, to hearing about what's, what's going on out there in Barrie. Ryan Willis is with the Trent University Sasquatch Society in Peterborough. Barry Colts weathered the storm again this past weekend, playing three games in three days, the same as the weekend before, and winning two out of three of them, same as the weekend before. Barry 360's Will Conkin playing a little yay or nay this week with Colts color man and reporter Gene Pereira. All right, so the Colts had uh, some comeback efforts uh, for each game this weekend. They won against Oshawa 4-3, lost to Kingston 5-4, and then beat Sudbury 2-1. Those comebacks were a lucky stretch rather than strong, stable play by the Colts. Yay or nay? Nay. No. Uh, uh, you know, this team just has a knack for uh, ability that they're never out of it. Um, you know, they have enough offense that they can get themselves back in hockey games. And, I mean, this, this week was a perfect example. All three games uh, they had to battle back. Uh, in Oshawa, it was uh, a little bit different. They were completely dominating, out shooting Oshawa, I think, 22-7 in the first period, but yet they trailed 2-0. They found a way back, kind of stayed the course, and then Saturday again, uh, they fell behind 4-0 uh, in the first period to Kingston, a rough start, and they were able to battle back, get that one into overtime. Unfortunately, they uh, they lost. Uh, in OT, as uh, Thibodeau had his second goal of the game, but uh, again, another pretty solid effort. And then they wrapped it up Sunday in Sudbury with a 2-1 win in Sudbury against the Wolves. And again, that one, a comeback. They were trailing 1-0 in the third. And who else but Captain Brent Clark leading the way, setting up the uh, game-time goal, a shot from the point that was tipped in by Frasca. And then a complete, uh, beautiful setup in overtime, uh, uh, with uh, Ethan Cardwell finishing that one off uh, to give the Colts a 2 for uh, two one come from behind win. So all in all, five out of six points. So a pretty good weekend for the Colts who continue this, uh, this trend of uh, road games. 
And then uh, for the schedule for Barry this week is Thursday against Mississauga, Kitchener Saturday, and North Bay on Sunday. Now, the Colts are second in the Central Division, splitting North Bay first and Mississauga third. Uh, Gene, yay or nay, beating Mississauga is more crucial than North Bay, standings-wise. I'm going to have to go nay again, Will. (laughs) I just, uh, you know, you look at it, those head-to-head games with uh, North Bay, um, you know, they're crucial. They're the typical, uh, you know, the four-point swings with uh, Barry nine points behind North Bay. Uh, it's really important that whatever games they get against North Bay, they, they win if they have any chance of catching the battalion. who have just been, you know, we've talked about how uh, Red Hot the Colts have been a late North Bay again, just continues to chug along, wrapping up big wins. So I think these head-to-head matches are crucial if Barry has any chance of, uh, of tracking down um, North Bay in the standings. Now, of course, obviously, you know, games against Mississauga, especially on home ice, uh, you know, uh, for Barry, it's just been, uh, uh, you know, their record, getting, I think, 12 wins, 7 losses at home, and a uh, much better record on the on the road for Barry this year, which is kind of strange. But, uh, again, just the importance, obviously, you're playing a division rival in Mississauga, but... Uh, I guess when you're, when you're when you're trailing a team, most importantly is to to, to, to win those head-to-head games. That makes sense for sure. Well, that's all for now. Thanks again, Gene, for playing yay or nay with us. That's great. Thanks, Will. What Barry's Talking About is a weekly podcast featuring the best Barry has to offer and more. We've covered a lot of ground since we began last July. Got caught up with Innisfil singer-songwriter Kyle Walkup. Brought you details of a new inclusive playground being built in Painswick. And went behind the scenes with film director Ron Chapman to learn more about what many believe was the second most important rock concert next to Woodstock, the Toronto Rock and Roll Revival at Varsity Stadium in 1969. You can get caught up and make it easy to keep up in the future by subscribing to what Barry's talking about through any podcast distributor. Still to come on what Barry's talking about, is there a better way to find a date if you're a millennial? A local woman thinks there is. Protecting your small or medium-sized business from cyber attacks. And why is there such a shortage of doctors in the Barry area? And how are you going to go about finding one? Now this. Our community rocks. It's a well-known fact blood transfusion saves lives. It's also a well-known fact that the world relies on voluntary unpaid donations to fill the need for blood. The need for blood never ends. Canadian Blood Services in Barrie is calling on you to help save a life. Please consider donating today. Appointments are mandatory and must be booked in advance. Book today at blood.ca through the Give Blood app or by calling one 888 donate Our community rocks on Barry's Rock Station. Rock 95. This is what Barry's talking about from Barry 360. I'm Dan Blakely. A couple of municipalities in Simcoe County have had to deal with ransomware demands, small and medium-sized businesses too, but it may be what's taken place in the eight or nine months previous that is a bigger concern and is the focus of a partnership between the county of Simcoe and a firm called White Took. Rob Stewart is the founder, and he tells Barry 360's Will Conkin about his firm and how it and the county can help keep cyber attackers at bay. Tell me what White Took is. 
So White Duke is a, a, a bit of a different approach to some of the large consulting companies and information security companies out there where we're grabbing some of the top talent in North America who maybe want a bit of a different change in lifestyle and want to use their skills and their experience uh, to better use. Um, so we're, we're a young firm launched about a year and a half ago and really specializing in helping organizations defend themselves from cyber attack and, and threat actors and nation states and bad guys um, by really enabling what they already have and not uh, focusing on, on a magic box, just showing them how they can um, refine and increase cybersecurity throughout their business processes. When did you see a need for this, for your business to come into come into the world? Being in cyber, I always saw it as a need. There's one fact that was given out by the Canadian cybersecurity that really made me think and really, I think, helps quantify what bad guys are trying to do. The average attacker stays in a system in Canada for about 265 days before they're noticed, before they hit that ransomware switch. So if you think of, you know, an office like we're sitting in right now, if someone was sitting there for nine months, you know, basically reading your emails, hearing your phone conversations, what could they learn about your organization? What damage could they do? A lot of people hear that, you know, oh, the ransomware, yes, it's a big flash. Typically, those guys hit that button once they've gotten everything they've needed. Okay, we've gotten enough out of here. Let's get one last payday and let's get out, right? And just think about, you know, when you think of your data security, is it important in your organization? Think of that scenario, right? And the big thing I would say to kind of, you know, to prevent those scenarios, you don't need a million dollar box. You don't need that. You need to care about it. You need to basically understand what best practices are and, and just, you know, have a commitment to regularly check. You know, are we secure? Is my, are my settings correct, right? Am I, am I checking with my service providers? So try and avoid those scenarios where those guys are sitting there learning about your organizations because, that's national security. That's Canadian economy. And that's where the scary stuff happens, right? But the good thing is it can all be prevented by people just caring and wanting to care and wanting to learn more. So that's what excites me. What is this partnership now with the County of Simcoe? Yeah, this is a great opportunity. Um, back in Mar um, March of last year, the federal government announced um, what they called the Canadian Digital Adoption Plan. There's two streams. Um, we were actually, uh, we had four of the first 46 advisors that launched for that national program, which is kind of cool for a Simcoe County startup. And we were the first ones in cyber. What that does is um, they essentially were allowing grants to help organizations step into the digital age, make sure that they can be competitive. It was kind of a large umbrella, realistically, like a lot of government programs are. But we kind of went in there and said, well, you know, what can we do to maximize this? And they're covering 90%, up to $15,000. So we said, okay, what could we do for sixteen five to help out an organization? And we really took kind of that, that big six-figure consulting firm assessment and got it down to a reasonable amount because we're looking at what attackers are attacking. And we had a few of those, and it's been working out really, really good. There's also some benefits for anyone that goes through this program where they can get up to $100,000 interest-free for their business in order to upgrade their technology and put it on the roadmap. So we saw some good results for this, and we're helping organizations defend themselves. We've seen a few people that have gotten attacked. But, uh, you know, there's a lot of – there's still underserved businesses, and we want to find out how we could get this into more people's hands. The County of Simcoe had an economic development grant that was normally sent out to help economic development in the area. Um, a lot of times it's promotions, it could be festivals, things of that nature, another wide, wide grant. I had a conversation with uh, a few folks in the Simcoe County ecosystem and said, like, how can we maximize this, right? And we put, up a, put forward a proposal to say, hey, 
If you guys want to pay that $1,500 remainder, we can go out to 15 rural-based businesses in Simcoe County that maybe don't have the same supports as other folks and really go in there and help them shut the, shut the front door to cyber attacks. So we've kind of combined the the federal program with the Simcoe County's, uh, you know, I would just call it very good foresight into, you know, they want they want these organizations and these employers in the area to keep their um, keep their doors open, right? Because a lot of people, you know, we've seen the news. You know, if a place is offline for, for a week, no one's working, nothing's being built, right? And the county wants to avoid that. So it's really, uh, it's we've taken uh, a couple different programs. And what we're just focused on doing is just going through an organization, looking at their, not just their technology, but their people and processes and find out where those gaps are. If I was a bad guy, how would I uh, try and attack you? And then the customer gets a full assessment by our experts. We give them a, a, a basic response plan so they know their responsibilities, who do you want to check, um, who do you have to call? Because a lot of times people don't realize it's not the bad guys that cost a lot of money. It's the government, right? Privacy Canada and the such. So we just make pe- make sure people are prepared for that and have a plan going forward to make sure that their technology is secure and, and people can't attack them through it. Where can people find more information about White Tuke? We have the website whitetuke.com slash Simcoe County. And you can also go to uh, whitetuke.com slash CDAP, C-D-A-P for short for Canadian Digital Adoption Plan. And we have more information there as well. The pandemic took its toll on a lot of things, dating among them, many people trying to get back into it through online services and apps. Kalena Harris-Mayu is trying to make it easier for millennials to meet up. She started a Facebook group a week ago. Dozens have already signed up. Harry 360's MJ hasn't, but is finding out how you can. Tell me a little bit about exactly what Millennial Meetups is. It's a Facebook event group uh, to help bring together the community of Simcoe County for people aged like 22 to 33-ish. I look at it like millennials more of a mindset, not necessarily a number. So really just to kind of get people together, get out from the uh, behind the screens and come out into the community and come to some events and meet new friends, maybe find some love um, and just overall just bringing people together again. Whether it's a misconception or not, of course, like millennials or I don't even know if they're called millennials anymore. It's hard to say, but <laughs> that age group that you described, 22 to 32, are always being criticized for being behind their phones. And we've got mm. dating apps so easily accessible. And this is kind of going back to some old school stuff, but millennials do like to meet in person, too. Yeah, definitely. I feel like it is definitely a misconception and COVID just kind of pushed even more millennials to hide behind a screen. And really a lot of people use apps these days, whether it's for relationships or friendships. And I find that there is difficulties with being online. So the community is based online, but all the events are going to be in person and to really kind of like start things off, maybe in people's comfort zone online where they can introduce themselves, see what we're all about, and then really bringing people out to help form those genuine connections that a lot of us are lacking in this age group because we are all online. Um, So yeah, I'm really excited to see how the group goes and how the community forms. And we've already got almost 100 members and I've only been running it for a week. Uh, That's great. (laughs) So it just goes to show people being interested for sure. Yeah. And I have had um, like this idea formulating for probably almost a year now. uh, And I've just kind of seen this like unmet need ongoing in the community. Like I'm always hearing people saying that, you know, there's nothing that's going on in Barrie. There's nothing going on in Simcoe. Like, what do we get out there and do? Like, there's no singles events. There's no mixers. Like, you can go to the bar, but honestly, like, these days, no one even talks at the bar besides the people you've come with. Um, And if you go up to a random group of strangers, they're going to wonder why you're coming up to talk to them. 
So uh, this is just like a fun way. You know, everybody in the community is also looking for the same things. And you're also going to find people with similar interests to you, which can be hard. And I find that you really don't stop. Like you can establish a, a deeper and truer connection with that face-to-face interaction um, and a lot less time compared to spending all that time online. And apps are timely too. Like um, I'm single and I feel like it's almost a full-time job on dating apps. And I feel like this is just such a more true way to meet people and not even necessarily with the pressures or expectations of dating either. You really can just kind of come, even if you're not looking to date, you can be single, you can be not single and just formulating those human connections again. Okay. Just like getting to know people in your community, right? Yeah. And a lot of, <clears throat> sorry, with um with Barry being like sort of like um like a, a college town too, you do get, you know, lots of students coming in and they don't really know anybody. And that adds another sort of, I guess, hijink or whatever into into meeting people right yeah i also found that like since covid there's been a wave of new people into barry from like the cities so they're coming up here and then they're wondering what is there to do in this cottage country air quotes um and there's not really much going on like i am always looking for things to do in the community i have a lot of free time now being single and i honestly i find it hard to find things to join and where to find people that are my age that would have similar interests and like want to spend their free time doing things I would like to do too and I definitely am realizing it's not just me and I'm not alone in that feeling so um all these new people who've moved to the town you know what how do they meet new people I have one person who's like I only knew my last girl for two years the last two years and it's like well, come on, girl, come on, come get out. Let's go for a hike. Like, let's go meet up for coffee. Like, let's get people out from inside their homes and back to where they should be in the community, coming to our local businesses, coming to events and having fun. <laughs> That's awesome. Now you've got a couple of events planned. What sorts of things do you have on the go or do you have in mind that you'd like to do? I've been like looking at like renting out bar spaces and then hosting like singles mixers or just millennial mixers. And we have been like, in the works of like planning just like activities I'm coordinating. So like going to like Freaky Wizards trivia night, we're gonna be planning. Like I went to Symposium Cafe with the group for the first time over the weekend. Um, Gonna be coordinating some like hikes, beach days once the summer is here. Like maybe going dancing, like really anything. Oh, snow tubing, I wanna go to Snow Valley. So I'm really just reaching out to local businesses and seeing if there's like anything they can do to help support the millennial meetups. Um, We'll also just like, kind of getting all the wheels turning of how to coordinate these, get these things going. So what is the name of the Facebook group? So it's called Simcoe County Millennial Meetups. All right, we've gone from long lineups waiting in a doctor's office to long waits just finding a doctor. How did we get here? How do you find a doctor to sign on with? And what do you do in the meantime? Barry 360's Ian McLennan gets some answers from Dr. Stu Murdoch, a family doctor at the Family Medicine Teaching Unit in Barry, and Corrine Maxwell, a physician recruiter with Barry Area Physician Recruitment. Let's first off talk about uh, the Family Medicine Teaching Unit. What is it and how long has it been in Barry and what, what is the uh, purpose? So the Family Medicine Teaching Unit is a uh, uh, one of the teaching sites for the Department of Family Community Medicine. And uh, we train uh, family medicine residents, which are 
doctors spe- uh, training to specialize in family medicine in this teaching unit, and it's uh, housed uh, at uh, RVH, and they spend uh, 24 months uh, learning uh, to be a primary care physician. How long has it been in Barrie? We started in 2009 with four residents, and then we've uh, ramped it up, and we now have uh, 18 residents, nine first-year residents, and nine second-year residents. And they see patients. They have. Do they have their own roster, for lack of a better word? Yeah. So we uh, have developed a roster for residents to take care of our our uh, community uh, patients. We have approximately 3,000 patients under the care of our family medicine residents. And is it a goal when you bring um, these individuals to the uh, family medicine teaching unit that hopefully they will want to stay within the Barry catchment area? Yeah, so we have we've actually published, and and the title is "If you train them, they will stay." So we have shown that approximately about sixty percent of our graduates will stay in our general Barry area community, either practicing uh, primary care, but also we do train them to be our emergency physicians, to do our palliative care, as well as hospitalist medicine. Well aware about the uh, doctor shortage in Barry, it's it's not that's something that's new. But a lot of people, you know, we we talk to say, you know, it's worse now. What um, do you have numbers in terms of how many people within the Barry area don't have a family doctor? Yes, we've uh, had a look at our numbers, and we estimate that there are approximately forty thousand residents in the Barry area without family physician. So that would include Innisfil, Oro. And spring water. There's a number of factors why there is a, a doctor shortage. Um, can you give us some in terms of you know why why it's so critical right now? Um, yeah, we're seeing uh, a few trends. Uh, in particular, we're seeing um, many uh, primary care physicians looking to retire um, or change their model of practice. Um, this number has doubled in years over the last few years with the pandemic. We do think that there are some factors with the pandemic that have, you know, um, encouraged these decisions for the family physicians. Uh, there are other factors where the um, family physicians um, in prior years, the ones that are closer to retirement, have very large rosters. So any new incoming physicians, often it takes more than one to Take over a practice. Like the practice is so large that often we'll need two doctors to look after the full roster of the retiring physician. We've seen less interest in family medicine in the um, the programs. So I think we had we looked and we saw that there was two um, hundred spaces not filled last year. So that's another factor. Stu, do you yeah, have so, anything else? But at the family medicine teaching unit, Dr. Murdoch, um, you also make use of uh, nurse practitioners too. What role do they fill when a person can't get a family doctor? Yeah, so one of the big pushes around improving primary care is how do we develop teams? And in our area, we actually have some really good teams uh, development through our family health team. And so we have nurse practitioners part of our primary care team. Uh, They work with uh, other team members that include uh, family physicians, but also diabetic educators, pharmacists, dietitians. Um, they're all part of our, our team-based care. So we've developed that, and, and we think this is the model that is going to keep primary care moving forward, and um, we just need to uh, build a bigger team. So meat and potatoes for a person who doesn't have a family doctor or those that are traveling, you know, 
who've moved up from the GTA but still traveled to Brampton or where have you to, to see their, their family doctor. Um, I need a doctor. Where do I turn to and where, where can I find information locally? My suggestion for people looking for a family doctor, first and foremost, is to register with Healthcare Connect. Uh, you'll get on a waiting list and as soon and it is triage to a sense. Um, and as soon as a family physician becomes available, you will be sent over through the process to get a family doctor. I do know that the wait list is quite extensive. So if you have a family physician in another city, um, maybe perhaps try to keep up with virtual care with your family doctor so you don't have to do the traveling as often. Another suggestion is to maybe just make some calls yourself, like cold calls, call different um, nurse-led clinics or family doctors and just see if they're accepting patients. Your website um, has some excellent places where you can link on to to track a family doctor. Maybe you give us the uh, the website and where people could could utilize uh, what you're offering. Sure. If um, you want to go onto the internet and search barrydoctors.ca and I have many links to take you to the different spots where you can start looking for family physicians, including the Healthcare Connect. And that's our program for this week. Thanks to Ian, Will, and MJ for their input, to Matt Ladder for his technical expertise, and to you for taking the time to listen. If you like what you've heard, please subscribe to what Barry's talking about. Rate it. Review it. You can also keep up with what Barry's talking about on Facebook and Twitter at Barry360 and on our website, Barry360.com. I'm Dan Blakely. Hope you'll join us again next week.